0: Coming up on the Keto Camp podcast, we bring on Dr. Richard Johnson, MD,
1: and the people who love exercise. They love it because it isn't that exercise helps you lose weight by burning calories. The amount of calories you burn for the amount of exercise you do is is woeful. (laughs) It's great to burn calories, okay? It's great to burn calories, but that's not the benefit you get from exercise. It's not that. It's when you exercise, you actually do things that help the
0: mitochondria regenerate. I'm the best-selling author of Keto Flex, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Hey, Keto Camper, thank you for pressing play today. I'm your host, Ben Azadi, over at BenAzadi.com. Today's episode is a very important one with Dr. Richard Johnson. He has a brand new book titled Nature Wants Us to Be Fat, The Surprising Science Behind Why We Gain Weight and How We Can Prevent and Reverse It. And we're going to deep dive into his book. Go get the book right now. It's over on Amazon. We'll drop a link down below. It's available on Kindle, Audible, and hardcover. And we get into his backstory, being a kidney doctor for over 25 years and some of the things he's discovered Of course, he's written previous books, which you might have read before, The Sugar Fix and The Fat Switch, which were all both fantastic books. And today we get into fructose and why there is a survival switch in the body and how fructose is metabolized primarily by the liver. And it is a cause of us gaining weight. And we get into how animals actually use fructose in the wild. To put on as much fat as possible before they hibernate. Super interesting. We get into the link between uric acid, keto, gout, sugar and gout, purines and gout, red meat and gout. Is there a connection there? We get into the relationship of our hormones and fructose, specifically ghrelin and leptin. We get into why Dr. Richard Johnson loves keto and believes the keto lifestyle is so powerful. The benefits you can get from exercise in regards to the mitochondria going through a process called mitophagy and mitogenesis. We get into the many benefits of keto, the importance of oxygen for creating ATP and cellular energy, and much, much more. So this is a deep dive into his brand new book titled Nature Wants Us to Be Fat. Hey, before I bring on Dr. Richard Johnson, I do want to take a minute here to get to the Apple podcast rating and review of the day. This is a five star review from Hat Zeal titled, This Podcast is Extremely Helpful. I just started keto, and with all the questions that I had, I found this podcast, and my questions are getting answers. Thank you for the awesome podcast. Great job, Ben. I look forward to falling down the keto hole. Thank you. Awesome, Hat Zeal. Way to be in that keto hole, which is a great hole to be in. <laughs> we, we provide a lot of uh, episodes on this show, three episodes. Three new episodes every week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. So there's a lot, there's plenty of answers to your questions and I appreciate you listening and also taking the time to leave that rating and review. So if you haven't done a rating and review for the Keto Camp Podcast, please do so right now. It really helps the show grow, helps us reach more lives. I do want to remind you, we have a few spots left for my upcoming 90-day heavy metals detox program. I believe toxins, specifically Heavy metals are the number one driver for cellular inflammation, which is blocking your body from healing. And if you could remove that interference, then keto, fasting, all the things you're doing will upgrade by default. Nothing moved the dial for me farther when it comes to my health than doing the exact detox that I'm going to teach this small group for 90 days. So for 90 days, I'm going to lead you through a heavy metal detox program. It's a small intimate group. There is a 60-minute Zoom call with me and the other members every month. You also get access to an online portal that gives you step-by-step instructions for detox from videos with videos from Dr. Dan Pompa, Dr. Mindy Pels, Dr. Caitlin Zazowski, Dr. Sonia Jensen, and many others that I am blessed to work with. You also get the supplements that are included for the detox, along with metaoxy testing kits to assess. Your cellular membrane inflammation, this test is a urine test, easy to do, and it's 50 times more accurate than any blood test out there. And the results have been incredible, and I want these results for you. So if you want to learn more, and hopefully you're hearing this on time, and we have some spots still left, head to ketocampdetox.com. We'll drop a link for that down below in the podcast notes. We'll put it right at the top. This is getting started very soon in just a few weeks, but once we reach a certain amount of members, we're going to cap it. So head to KetoCampDetox.com. Okay, let's dive deep into fructose and why nature wants us to be fat with Dr. Richard Johnson. Dr. Richard Johnson is a professor of medicine at the University of Colorado and is a clinician, educator, and researcher. He is board certified in internal medicine, infectious diseases, and kidney disease, and is the founding editor of Comprehensive Clinical Nephrology, one of the main textbooks on kidney disease. For more than 20 years, he has led research on the cause of obesity and diabetes with special interest in the role of sugar, especially fructose, and uric acid. His research has been highly cited, published in top medical journals, and supported by grants from the National Institutes of Health. He is the author of The Sugar Fix, The Fat Switch, and his brand new book, Why Nature Wants Us to Be Fat. Here's Dr. Richard Johnson. All right, Dr. Richard Johnson, welcome to the Keto Camp podcast. Thank you. It's great to be on. I'm grateful that Dr. Michael Gorin uh, connected us, who was on our, our podcast a few weeks ago, and we had an amazing conversation. He thought we would have a great conversation, and I think he's right. <laughs> We're going to have an awesome time today. You have a book, Nature Wants Us to Be Fat, The Surprising Science Behind Why We Gain Weight and How We Can Prevent and Reverse It. Uh, I am grateful to have an advanced copy of the book and the book is amazing. So we're going to put links for all that down below and we'll get into the book and the amazing golden nuggets that I came across in the book. Before we get to that, I want to hear your story. I know you have been in this space for quite some time, kidney doctor, doing some experiments, figuring out what uric acid does in the body. So how did this get started for you? and What were some of those aha moments throughout your career? Sure. So uh, I trained as a, you know, a physician and I do do
1: clinical work. I have a clinical practice, but I also love research and I ended up studying uh, kidney disease as well as metabolism and also infectious disease. I was kind of a, you know, I'm very curious person. And uh, as we started doing our research, we began to, you know, study high blood pressure because uh, high blood pressure is a very, very major problem in the country. Uh, It's a major cause of stroke and heart failure. And no one really knows the cause, but they knew that it was linked with uh, the kidney and that it had something to do with salt. And um, when we started studying it, we recognized that a substance called uric acid seemed to be important in the the pathogenesis or in, in in what causes high blood pressure. And so we started studying uric acid. And as we studied uric acid, we started realizing it was more than just being important in high blood pressure and gout. That's the classic thing that's linked with, but that it was actually involved in obesity and metabolic syndrome and diabetes. And as we began to realize that uric acid was really key, we started looking at what raised the uric acid and that took us to sugar and particularly to fructose, which is in sugar. And then uh, that took me, kept driving me for about 20 years. Now I've been studying um, what causes high blood pressure and diabetes. And uh, it's led to a lot of discoveries. And my research has gone outside the kidney. It's gone outside of classic biologic research. So we do uh, physiology and molecular biology and all those kinds of things. But we also study animals in nature, hibernating animals. Long-distance migrating birds. We do studies in, in history. We we actually have resurrected extinct genes, uh, and we, we I've worked with archaeologists and and, uh, and and anthropologists as well as uh, comparative physiologists. And we've done studies in the zoos, and we've gone to um, we've done studies on on uh, you know groups that uh, are kind of indigenous groups uh, that live in their ancient ways uh, in the jungles of uh, Venezuela, for example. So it's been quite a tour. It's driven by curiosity. Ben. <laughs> so that's how, I, you know, and so I'm definitely doing a little bit more than just kidney disease. But this morning, I was rounding on patients with kidney disease at the at hospital
0: so I love that you're curious I am too I always ask a lot of questions which I will do today uh, uric acid you know a lot of people actually come to keto and they're they, they they've heard about gout they've heard about uric acid they're, they also have high blood pressure typically and they come to keto to help reduce or lower their high blood pressure now if you could just break down for the person listening or watching they've heard of uric acid but what exactly is it And what is the connection between high uric acid and um, fructose specifically?
1: Yeah. So, you know, our body is made up of protein, carbohydrates, fat, and things like bone and stuff like that. But it's also contains substances that are used to make DNA, RNA, you know, the nucleus of our cells. And the DNA and RNA are made of, you know, the building blocks that make it. Uh, include a group of substances called purines, and these are these are present in foods, and they're they're also like present uh, in in many different kinds of things in our body. We have a lot of purines in our body, of course, and so uric acid is basically the when the purines are degraded, they're broken down to this substance, and so uric acid is sort of considered a was for a long time was considered a waste product you know, when we eat meats and drink beer and, and eat sugar and things like that, these foods can generate uric acid when we eat them. And, and then the uric acid is, is excreted from the body. And it's most, for us, we excrete it mainly through our urine and through the gut. So for a long time, people thought that it was didn't really do much in the body. It was kind of just something we had to get rid of because if it built up, it could form crystals especially in the joints and that that could lead to an inflammation and a very painful condition called gout. And many people, there, there are probably 9 million people in the United States that suffer from gout. And gout is, uh, you know, this condition where uric acid gets to concentration so high that it, they precipitate into crystals into our joints, typically the big toe. And then that causes um, a very painful arthritis. And the good news is it usually responds to drugs like Motrin or you know over-the-counter drugs like that can, endomethacin, uh, and these drugs can, can take away the pain. And so for a lot of people, it's, it's a real hassle to get this, but, you know, after a couple of weeks of treatment, they're back to feeling normal. But what we discovered, and, and others have too, I mean, it's really been a, a joint, I mean, a, that's kind of funny, a joint <laughs> <laughs> joint discovery. Now, w- what we found is that uric acid, when it builds up in the blood, it has effects that go beyond forming crystals and causing uh, gout that actually uh, uric acid has biological effects to cause inflammation. And a lot of people have discovered the importance of inflammation in in diseases like high blood pressure and diseases like heart disease. And what we now know is that a lot of people have low-grade inflammation in their blood, and this inflammation can accelerate diseases like atherosclerosis and heart disease. It can be associated with high blood pressure. We see it in people with diabetes. And basically, low-grade inflammation is not a good thing. And what we can show is that uric acid has a major role in causing inflammation. But not only does it cause inflammation, but it seems to be involved in the actual processes that lead to diabetes, obesity, a high blood pressure, and it has many biologic effects. So um, the, the uh, uric acid turned out to be kind of a goldmine because when we stumbled on it, people were thinking it was just kind of a waste product and no one was really thinking of it as being biologically active. And our group was one of the very first ones to kind of really tease out um, the biology of how uric acid works. And it seems to have a fundamental role uh, in a lot of these diseases that people suffer from today,
0: why do you think the body is producing this excess amount of uric acid after certain lifestyle behaviors? Like, what is the reason behind it? I know that the body' number one priority is survival. Like, why is it producing excess uric acid here?
1: Well, so th- you know, that was the same question we had. Why? Why would we make something that could cause problems? that could kill us, you know, if it gets up too, too high. And, and, you know, there are a lot of studies that show that if your uric acid is very high, that it increases your risk for mortality. Uh, it isn't just increasing your risk for obesity and diabetes. It's, it's, and it's being linked with cancers and all kinds of things. So why in the world would we have a high uric acid? And here's another challenge, Ben, and that is we had a mutation we had a mutation in our genes, you know, 15 million years ago that makes, that results in humans having higher uric acid levels than almost all mammals. So most mammals have very low uric acid levels, and we have much higher uric acid levels. So that's like a double whammy. So we know it's not doing, when its levels are high, it's not good. And somehow we had a mutation that made our uric acid levels high. And so uh, it turns out that we kinda cracked this when we realized that uric acid was part of a survival pathway that animals use to survive. And what they do is they, when you're in the wild, one of the most important things is to have enough fuel around. You've gotta be able to have enough food to keep going. If we use the food as calories and energy, you know, that powers our thinking, our our activity, our ability to do everything. We need to have enough food and we want to avoid starvation. And fat is actually, if we can store fat, we can get away with not having food around. So if we can't find food, we want to have sufficient fat that we can survive on because we can, when we break down the fat, we make calories. And so we can live just on our fat as opposed to you know when there's no food around. So this means that an animal needs to be able to store fat for those times when there's no food around. And it turns out that there are animals in nature that need to store fat. And one of them, of course, is the hibernating animal, the hibernating bear. It has to double its fat before the winter because it's going to go for four or five months without eating. And so it lives off that fat. Migrating birds like the uh, the godwit is this bird that can, gosh, you can fly like 10,000 kilometers nonstop. I mean, and wow. so it does that. Yeah, it does it by just building up fat in its body and then uh, it can take off and live off the fat while it's flying. And here's another twist. The fat doesn't just provide calories. It provides water. Well, you say, well, look, fat doesn't contain water. There's no water in fat. But when you burn fat, you actually generate water. And the chemical reactions, you produce water. And one gram of fat produces a gram of water. So it turns out that when these birds are flying long distance, they're getting their water from the fat they're burning. When the whale is swimming, it doesn't drink seawater. Uh, You know, The whale is always swimming, right? So with the whale, when the whale is in the ocean, it doesn't drink seawater. It has to get its water from the crustaceans and food that it eats. And if it doesn't get enough water, it gets it from the fat it has. And that's why Whales are one of the fattest animals in the world. Uh, they use it for insulation, but they also use it as a source of water. So it turns out that uric acid is involved in this process to make fat. And so it's it's actually used and it works through a very complicated way, but it works through the mitochondria. And the mitochondria are in our body, it's what makes energy. And basically when you make energy, you can make energy that you use immediately, which is ATP. And that's what, how we, you know, do what we do, Mm run, walk. ATP is the key, having a lot of ATP, but ATP is kind of the immediate energy. And then there's the stored energy. The stored energy is fat and glycogen. When your body is trying to make energy from food, Normally it will make ATP because it doesn't want you to be fat. But if you turn on a a process, you know, if the animal wants to turn on a process to store fat, then actually it has to trigger a switch. It turns out that it triggers a process that instead of making just a lot of ATP, it will shift the calories to stored energy like fat. And that is an actual biologic switch that our group had a lot to do with discovering. And it's essential to that is a sugar called fructose, which when it's metabolizes produces the uric acid and the uric acid and the fructose are working together to cause fat storage. So what happens is like a bear, when it's uh, preparing to hibernate, the question is what triggers it to suddenly Eat more and it will double, triple what it normally eats. It will eat 10,000 grapes in one 24 hour period. I mean, it will eat huge amounts of fruit, you know, and a lot of animals will do this. And we think of fruit as healthy, but you're not eating 10,000 grapes, you know, you're not eating the amount of fruit these guys are eating. These guys are eating huge amounts of fruit where there's so much sugar that in the end they're getting a lot of this fruit sugar or fructose. And that when you eat enough of it, it triggers this production of uric acid. The uric acid goes into those energy mitochondria and does this switch or a biologic switch switches the, from making a lot of ATP to storing the energy in fat. And that switch is triggered by what we call oxidative stress. So uric acid is actually important in survival. So the question was, you know, what happened 15 million years ago? Because uh, back then we had much lower uric acids and we could still make fat. But what happened was, uh, you know, I was very curious. I'm very curious. (laughs) (laughs) I see that. (laughs) I love it. And, And so what I did was... I love Google, and I love all these uh, ways you you can pull articles from – you can go back and pull articles from, like, 1900 off of Google Scholar and 1800. And, and, you know, in the old days, you had to go to these libraries and go from stack to stack. But nowadays, anyone can become a a sleuth. And so, um, you know, I was very curious what happened – 15 million years ago to our ancestors. And back then, the earliest, our ancestors were kind of an ape like animal that was the ancestor of apes and humans. And they were living in Africa. And I read that there was global cooling, not global warming. Global cooling was happening. And what was happening was the polar ice caps were growing and the sea levels were falling. And what happened was Africa, where these ancestral apes were, these apes were living in tropical rainforest. They were eating fruit. They were living in the trees. They were very successful. These were a big leap over the prior species, which were more like monkeys. These guys had big heads. They were tailless. They were much stronger. They were smarter. You know, they were the beginning of, of uh, you know, the apes as well as humans. And these guys were very successful. They were living in the tropical rainforest, and suddenly there were many species. You know, there were like 20 species of ape. And then what happened when the sea levels fell, Africa, which had been an island, basically had was not connected with Europe. Suddenly there were land bridges, and these animals, along with a ton of other animals, went across that land bridge into Asia and Europe and it was warm up there back then it was very warm it was global cooling was occurring but the at that time it was still fairly warm and what happened was there there were actually uh, fruit trees and so forth and a lot of rainforest that was even in Europe and then it kind of got cooler and the rainforest began to thin out turn into more of a deciduous forest and these apes were still kind of living off the fruit. That was the main thing they ate. And they could eat it year round. And then as it got cooler around 50 million years ago, there wasn't enough fruit all year round. So there was a few months where there would be no fruit. And they started starving during that time because they weren't used to eating other foods. And so they they actually had to come out of the trees and they started foraging around looking for tubers and roots and other things they could eat and nuts. And during that time, it was a period of rapid evolution because they had to change. Their dentition changed so they could eat harder foods. They began to knuckle walk and their skeleton started to change. And they had a mutation at that time in uric acid. And that uric acid mutation, normally back then, the way animals got rid of uric acid is they would degrade it. They didn't have to get rid of it through the kidney. They didn't have to get rid of it through the gut. They just degraded it. They had an enzyme that would break it down. And then, and it was very easy, but they mutated that off that enzyme. So they lost that enzyme. So now the uric acid had to be excreted by the kidney and the gut. And it ended up with the uric acid levels going up about, you know, almost doubling. And what happened was that that uh, mutation, we said, okay, if uric acid is important to help store fat from sugar or from fructose, is it if it's involved in how fructose causes the storage of fat, then if there's too little fruit around, then could that mutation have allowed the little fruit to be more powerful in its ability to store fat? Maybe you could store more fat from the same amount of fruit because y- you would produce less ATP, but you could produce more fat. And that would help you in the long term. So we started looking at that, and um, I went to Europe, met with this uh, famous anthropologist. And he and I, uh, he ended up collaborating. Peter Andrews was his name, and he told me that this made a lot of sense, and that the starvation was going on in Europe, and he had discovered that our ancestor came from an ape from Europe, and that ape had had migrated back to Africa at some point, and he, and. He had shown by fossils that the that our ancestor was actually an ape that had gone from Africa to Europe and then back to Africa, <laughs> and he had a paper in Nature so that we knew that. But yet all those apes were starving in Europe, and eventually they went extinct. So some some ape up there, some little group of apes made it back, and they ended our ancestral apes, and they ended up to uh, evolve into humans, and they came back with that mutation. And we know that they got that mutation because we can actually identify it through molecular evolution, we can tell. So the question was, how did that mutation work? So uh, with Eric Gosher, we resurrected the extinct gene. We actually were able to figure out the extinct gene We resurrected it, put it in in a cell culture system, and we could show that when liver cells, human liver cells had that gene, they made fat in response to to fructose. They did. But if you mutated it so they got a bigger uric acid response, then when they got fructose, they made a huge amount of fat for the same amount of fructose. So it like double, triple the amount of fat you could make from the same amount of fruit. And so we had a mutation occur. And then we, then what we did is we took mice, and mice are fairly resistant to sugar. But when we knocked out that enzyme or inhibited it to make it kind of like a human, then suddenly they were very sensitive to sugar. So humans are very sensitive to fructose. And fructose is in table sugar. It's in high fructose corn syrup. And so we are very sensitive. We, we react to it much more. We were trained, we have the genetics to try to make more fat in response to sugar than others, you know, than other species. So we are sugar sensitive.
0: It's fascinating. And so you, you, you fast forward to today and you have, of course, people juicing their fruits. So they're even making it worse by removing all the fibers and increasing that sugar load. Hey Keto Camper, it is time to get your shift together. What do I mean? Sugar Shift is a unique probiotic designed as a working system to convert the sugar's glucose and fructose in your gut to the free radical scavenger manitol, which also feeds a healthy gut microbiome, supports the mitochondria, and by the way, it increases the production of butyrate, which helps protect the gut lining and is one of the main ketone bodies. You heard of it, beta-hydroxybutyrate. This is one of my favorite formulas. It's an eight-strain formula built as a working system to provide specific gut functions, and it's unique in its probiotic formulation. One of my favorite things about this product is that it breaks down and detoxifies glyphosate. The product also includes strains that has been shown to improve muscle mass and support changes in body mass. I've used it with several of my Keto Camp Academy students and they have reported to me. it has helped them with their sugar cravings. It helped them with their transition from sugar burner to fat burner, helps to keep them in ketosis and take the results to another level, helps when they hit a plateau, improves digestion. In a recent study, Biotequest, the company that makes sugar shift, showed huge improvements in blood sugar reduction, A1C, Reduction, also reducing LPS, which is an endotoxin that can create inflammation in your body. If you'd like to get your hands on a bottle of Sugar Shift from Biotiquest, head to Biotiquest.com, which is spelled B-I-O-T-I-Q-U-E-S-T, and then put the coupon code Camp K-A-M-P one zero at checkout, and also check out their other products as well. We'll drop links down below with the coupon code in the podcast notes. So when you talk about this switch, right, this switch to burn fat is blocked. And now we're storing fat. So instead of using ATP for energy, we're using body fat for energy. And a lot of people in America have lost the ability to burn body fat and use ATP, get into ketosis, etc. So with that conversation, and then the conversation on the other side saying, hey, you know, if you want to lose weight, all you have to do is just exercise more and get into this caloric uh, restriction philosophy. I mean, what do you have to say to those people? Because they're saying our conversation is a whole, it's, it's complicated what we're talking about, and it's a very simple math equation. So what do you say to those people?
1: Yeah, so the first thing is that, you know, there's two big processes going on. And one process is that there's the a switch that tries to, that when it turns on, tries to turn us get us to make fat. And the main thing driving that turned out to be carbs. And uh, it isn't just the fructose and sugar. So table sugar, it contains fructose as well as glucose. And uh, high fructose corn syrup also contains fructose and glucose. It's actually the fructose that really is driving this fat switch. But what's scary is that our bodies can make fructose. And this was another terrible discovery. The bo- our bodies make fructose. Only, there's only one way we make fructose. There's only one pathway, but that pathway is turned on in a variety of situations. And the number one situation is when you eat potatoes and rice that does not contain fructose, but it contains what we call high glycemic carbs. When the blood glucose goes up in your, after you eat this, that actually triggers this response in your body to make fructose and you will start making fructose in response to these carbs. And that's why carbs are driving obesity dramatically because you're getting sugar, which has fructose in it. And then you're getting high glycemic carbs that are being converted to fructose in the body. There are other things that can also produce fructose like, you know, unfortunately, and we can talk about that later, but this is the main pathway. And this is why your diet that you keep promoting, the keto diet, is so strong and so powerful because it's blocking these two major food groups, fructose and di- and high glycemic carbs. You're eating less of them, so that makes this huge improvement that tries to keep us from activating the switch. Now, well, that's good, the other big, aspect of it is that the way the switch works is this uric acid causes oxidative stress to the mitochondria and oxidative stress is sort of like UV light, you know, um, sunburn is like oxidative stress to the skin. Uh, smoking generates oxidative stress that can cause wrinkles. For example, oxidative stress is this kind of uh, mysterious thing where the oxygen becomes or chemically reactive and can damage your tissues and oxidative stress is actually used to do the switch in the mitochondria because when it's in there it shifts it from making atp tor- towards making fat so so it's actually used as, as a as a good thing to to help animals survive in preparation for periods where there's no food so it's supposed to be good but if you're eating food that's always, you know, every day, you're doing oxidative stress to those mitochondria. They're under attack. You know, it's fine to do it a little bit, like, you know, for a few months to gain the fat and then burn it off. But if you're doing it day in, day out, every time you're eating a cookie and all this stuff, what happens is the mitochondria start to weather, they they start to decrease in their ability uh, and they can't recover fully and they, they get this low grade damage and there's a, you know, it's trying to repair itself. There's all these mechanisms to try to keep them healthy, but over time they start to decrease. And as the mitochondria decreases, then the capacity of the mitochondria to produce the energy you need goes down and so suddenly you become more fatigued, you're more tired. It correlates with a drop in mitochondria. It correlates with a decrease in ATP in the muscle. It correlates with uh, you know getting older. It correlates with a slower gait when you're walking. And so when you wanna get back to your normal health, you, you wanna get back to your dream health, you have to do two things. You have to know how to turn off that switch so that you you're not killing those mitochondria but then you know you have to know how to revive the mitochondria and the people who love exercise they love it because it isn't that exercise helps you lose weight by burning calories the amount of calories you burn for the amount of exercise you do is is woeful.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, people people misinterpret that all the time because they're like, "Oh, I did a workout and I burned six hundred calories." No, you didn't. Because if you sat in your couch, you probably burned four fifty. So exactly. you really burned one fifty. Yeah, yeah. So it's
1: not about burning calories. It's great to burn calories. Okay, it's great to burn calories. But that's not the benefit you get from exercise. It's not that. It's when you exercise you actually do things that help the mitochondria regenerate. And this mitochondrial ability of the mitochondria, where they, the first term is biogenesis, mitochondrial biogenesis, but the mitochondria regenerate. They can go back to normal. And when that, when the numbers go up and the, and the function of the mitochondria improve, your energy improves. It's easier to keep the weight off. So to, you know, you can diet all you want, lose the weight, but if your mitochondria are bad, you're, you're going to reset back to that weight. And, and so that's why when you're young and you gain weight, you can actually lose weight much easier if you're 18 and overweight. You can get back to your weight very easily because your mitochondria are still fairly healthy. But if you've been overweight for 20 years, it is a battle to get back but it's not impossible. Mm -hmm. And so the fantastic thing is you do things like the keto diet or fasting, or there's different diets. I have a diet that kind of hits all the different things that can drive, that activate the switch. But, you know, but but all these are fairly close. And then you do exercise to try to stimulate that mitochondrial replication. And then you've got the dynamic, the two-hit thing to give you back your health.
0: Oh, that's so well said. So a low, yeah, low fructose, low carb diet could be called keto. Combine that with exercise to kind of stress the mitochondria. I call it sometimes mitochondrial fitness, and that's a one-two punch to overcome whatever kind of uh, metabolic disorder you might be dealing with. And you talk a lot about this on page one ninety-five. You relate, you know, obesity to the energy production of the mitochondria, and you talk about how it's possible to restore and repair these mitochondria. And you're explaining exactly how to do it. I I do have a question for you though, because you mentioned that, yes, you could eat fructose and get fructose that way, but you could also eat high glycemic foods and your body could make glucose through one pathway. What was the name of that pathway?
1: It's called the polyol pathway. There's only one way our body can make fructose. We make it from glucose through a thing called the polyol pathway. And that polyol pathway gets activated when we're under stress. So it gets activated, uh, for example, you know, if you're not getting enough oxygen, uh, if you're under extreme stress, but it's also activated by certain foods. And this is what animals do. So they, they high glycemic carbs. When the blood glucose goes up, that activates it. Another is really salty foods. I hate to tell you. So here's what's interesting. I I would love to do a study. I I probably will do a study like this. Potato chips versus chips or French fries with salt versus French fries. Potato chips with or without salt, I mean, or French fries with or without salt. Got it. Now, we know that the salt makes it taste a lot better. And so you eat more. But if I controlled how much you ate, my bet would be that the salted French fries will still, cause more obesity because the salt turns on the enzyme to convert the starch in the potato to fructose. So the starch is like a um, lot of glucose together is starch. Starch is basically glucose. And so when you eat it, your blood glucose goes up and that will convert to fructose. But if you have salt there, the salt really drives that process even more. So you'll make more fructose and, uh, you know, we've done studies where we've uh, given people like salty foods and so forth. And we can show that we can activate the switch immediately with like a bowl of salty soup. Every time you you eat salt and you get thirsty, you're activating the switch to help convert the glucose in your body to fructose. So, you know, I know what you're going to say. Wow. What are you telling me? Salt can cause obesity? Yes. That's what I'm telling you.
0: But you're saying that in the context of salt with carbohydrates, not necessarily. Yes, yes. Salt with a alone, word.
1: salt has no calories, right? Yeah. But salt turns on the enzymes to convert the starch to you know. So if you're on a, a keto diet and you're not eating much carbohydrates and you're not making much, you don't have much glucose to convert. You probably can eat salt without a problem. But if you're eating uh, French fries, you're going to get that extra whammy of the salt with the potato that's that, that's why french fries are so fatty and it's not that they contain sugar they don't contain much sugar they contain glucose uh you know a starch mm-hmm. but they don't contain table sugar they don't contain fruit dose. i i do want to uh, ben i want to say one thing because you know we've been slamming fruit as a mechanism for causing obesity But, you know, the the truth is that humans are not eating the same amount of fruit that animals do to become fat. And I just wanted to point out that there's a difference between eating a whole fruit that has fiber and potassium and flavanols and vitamin C and all these things that actually help counter some of the effects and drinking a soft drink that's got 10 times more fructose and you drink it in one in 30 seconds. So when you, when you take a soft drink, you are, you're just hitting your, you're activating the switch like bingo. If you eat a natural fruit, it has like one tenth amount of fructose or one fourth amount or one fifth. And, and it's got all these other things in fiber. It's absorbed slower. There's less fructose and actually it's the natural fruit contains so many good things that there's no real anything bad from that in fact a natural fruits good and we did do a study where we did a, a took people who are overweight and we put them on a low fructose diet where it was low sugar and low fruit and we put the other group on a low sugar diet but they were still able to eat fruit and both groups did great both groups had an improvement so natural fruits themselves you certainly can eat some. Now, if you eat a ton of fruit, like a big bowl of grapes in front of the TV, you're going to get into trouble. In my book, I actually go through the different types of fruit and you know how much is good. But basically, we should view natural fruit as our friend, not as our enemy. But fruit juices, where you take five fruit and make a smoothie, now you've got this, you've removed a lot of the good stuff and fiber, as you, as you pointed out, and then you drink it really fast. And then you get a big bolus of fructose. And, and the other thing to know is that the way the switch is activated, it isn't from the calories of fructose, it's from the concentration. So if, if you had a soft drink and you drank it really fast, you're eating a lot of fructose in a short period of time, so the concentration is very high. And, and when the liver gets this wave of fructose, it activates the switch like that. But if you if you sip the fructose, if you sip the soft drink, it took one sip and so the very little fructose got to the liver because there's even though there's a huge amount on the glass, you only took a tiny bit and then you drank that whole glass over 24 hours. you know, you, you took a sip every 15 minutes. The fructose concentration will never get to the level to co- to activate the switch, in which case the soft drink just becomes the calories in the soft drink, which is can be significant, but it's not it's not huge. It's not making you want to make fat. So it's it's it turns out that it's kind of sneaky. So liquid fructose, liquid drinks, are a hundred times worse than solid drinks. I mean, solid foods that have yeah. sugar.
0: Interesting. Yeah. I I love that you shared that. We're not saying all fruit is bad. We're distinguishing between fruit juice and actual fruit. With that being said, if you're somebody who's obese, you know, diabetic, it might be a good idea to lower your fruit intake to get into ketosis and then eventually bring it back in. That's kind of the way I teach it.
1: Absolutely. I totally agree with it. And there's another great benefit of ketosis. And um, it turns out that when you eat sugar you have to absorb the sugar, right? You, you break the sugar down in your gut and then you have to absorb it. And the ability to absorb sugar varies from people to people. So if, if you're eating sugar every day, you're gonna absorb the sugar very fast because your intestine, intestinal lining changes so that you can absorb it faster. The body likes sugar. It shouldn't, but it thinks it does. And so it will try to absorb more. And so if you put an animal on a high sugar diet, it will learn how to absorb it fast and absorb it very efficiently. But if you don't eat sugar, those transport systems to transport the sugar into the body get turned off. It's like rebooting. They go way back down to low levels. And when that happens, like on a ketosis diet, and it only takes like 10 days or so to turn it off. So every time you go on a low-carb diet for like 10 days, you're rebooting the system and you're turning that off. And then the same amount of sugar is not going to be absorbed as readily as it was before. So Mm -hmm. you're going to gain another benefit. Of course, you're not eating sugar, but but when you eventually go back to, to some kind of carbs, which ultimately we all do, right? So, um, you know, that'll help a lot. Yeah, I, we did this study that was kind of fun. We did it in, um, we, we took children who had been diagnosed with fatty liver and um, they'd been diagnosed with a biopsy. So these are poor, these kids uh, are overweight, obese, and they have fatty liver and they're, they're only like 15 years old. It's, it's not great. It's awful. And, and then we had some kids that, were overweight or obese, but did not have fatty liver, at least at that level. And then we had some normal kids and we gave them a, everyone took one dose of fructose and we could measure how much they absorbed. The kids that were thin, they couldn't absorb the fructose very well because their systems to to transport it were kind of turned down. The kids that were overweight, they could absorb the fructose much more. And they also could metabolize it faster. They could break it down. But the kids with the fatty liver, they were the best. They, they, I mean, they were the ones that could absorb almost all the fructose and they could metabolize it very, very rapidly, showing that their system was upregulated. So if you take a person with fatty liver and you put them on a keto diet, you're going to have a dramatic effect on their fatty liver. Yeah. It's going to be dramatic because uh, you're really, you know, the, it, it turns out that sugar is the number one driver of fatty liver. And you're going to not only remove the sugar, but you're going to turn off the transport systems. You're going to help them a huge amount. I personally have treated, you know, some people with fatty liver, including children, you know, by just restricting the carbs and taking away the soft drinks. and But, wow, what a what a difference that makes.
0: Hey, Keto Camper, I have a fun pop quiz for you real quick. How many sailors throughout history died from scurvy caused by vitamin C deficiency during the time of Columbus? Is it A, 20,000? Is it B, 200,000? Or is it C, 2 million sailors? All right, do you have your answer locked in? Drumroll, please. The answer is 2 million. Would you believe 2 million people had to die before we figured that out. Here's where it gets even crazier. There's a little known deficiency right now killing millions of people all around the world, and the disease it's causing is insomnia. According to a study published by Academic Press, magnesium deficiency is a leading cause in sleep disruption in both children and adults. The problem is, not just any magnesium will do. Recent studies have shown that there are actually seven forms of magnesium and our bodies need them in precisely the right balance for proper sleep. There's only one magnesium supplement on the market that has the full spectrum of all seven forms and it's called magnesium breakthrough. I got to tell you, when I take this stuff, I just feel on. My body is finally getting something it's been desperately needing. To learn more... Go to magbreakthrough.com slash ketocamp and use the coupon code KETOCAMP10 to get 10% off your first bottle. If it doesn't fix your sleep, digestion, and energy levels like it did for me, or if you're not satisfied for any reason, they'll give you a prompt and courteous refund on the spot. They guarantee it. So head over to magbreakthrough.com slash KETOCAMP, use the code KETOCAMP10, and go Get Your Mag Breakthrough. We'll include the link and the coupon code in the notes down below. All right, let's go back to this conversation. I have a follow-up question on that, the pathway. I, I want to know if I'm saying it right. Is it called the polyol pathway? Yeah. Okay, the polyol pathway. You, I find this fascinating. I haven't really studied too much about it besides your work, and I have a follow-up question on it. So you mentioned that if you eat high-glycemic foods, you could turn on this pathway polyol pathway where your body then actually makes its own fructose. You also said in a stressful state, you could also turn on this pathway. So my question is this and thought process is this. I know that stress is a silent killer, mental, emotional stress, and, and just being in a state of fight or flight all the time. One of the reasons why it could make you gain weight is the response of cortisol and glucose following cortisol. But my thought process now is if you're in a stressful state from work, watching the news all day, whatever it is, are you going to be turning on this polyol switch and, and uh, storing fat instead of using ATP for energy? Yeah, you know, so this switch does a number of things. It does store fat and it
1: produces less energy. So that's true. And, but it also makes the cells require less energy. So everything, the mm. metabolism slows down. So it tries to slow it down because if we can slow down the metabolism, then the, the cell has a, you know, the, that you have a better way, uh, a better chance to survive. Mm-hmm. So, uh, for example, under low oxygen conditions, you, uh, the animals will start to make fructose and there's a naked mole rat, which they, that's what they call it. It's this funny looking animal that lives in Africa and it goes down these burrows where there's like very little oxygen and they're like way down under the ground. And the oxygen level is so low that if you put like a mouse in there they'll they'll die because there's oxygen so low but these animals live by making fructose with the polyol pathway hmm. and that they what they do is the they they shift so when you make atp in the mitochondria you use oxygen so it, one of the main reasons we need oxygen is for our mitochondria to make the energy we we need So if we don't have enough oxygen, we can't make the energy very well. But there's a backup system, and it's called glycolysis. And this backup system makes energy without oxygen. And so if we can, but it doesn't make it as much. It's much less efficient. So what happens is this switch, for example, switches from this oxygen-demanding system to a low-oxygen system to help you survive under low oxygen settings. It also, for example, makes you insulin resistant. Why do you wanna be insulin resistant? Why is that a survival mechanism? Because uh, our body uses, likes to use glucose as a fuel. Now, when you go on a keto diet, it's a different story, right? But normally the body uses glucose as its fuel, and the muscle uses it, and the liver uses it, the brain uses it, and glucose is the, the main fuel It's the main carbohydrate fuel in our body, the main carbohydrate fuel. And we have circulating glucose in our blood that's used to go to the muscle and all the, everywhere. Okay, so when you, the muscle uses a huge amount of the glucose and the brain uses about 25% of the glucose. It uses a huge amount too. So let's say there's not enough food around. Well, what do you want to do? If you don't have enough food, do you want to reduce the glucose evenly to, no, you don't. You want to be able to think because even though muscle is so important and strength is so important, if you're not thinking, you're dead. Yeah. So they, they, what they want is to get enough glucose to the brain. And so what insulin resistance does is it reduces the amount of glucose that gets into the muscle and into the liver and, and into the fat. But the brain much of the brain does not require insulin to move glucose in. So we use this hormone insulin to drive the glucose into our cells. So if you become insulin resistant, what happens is the tissues become resistant to the effects of insulin to move glucose into the cells. So the, the skeletal muscle doesn't get as much glucose, even though it's, it's higher in the blood it's higher because it's not getting into the muscle. And so the blood level goes up. Which is great because the brain can use the glucose without the insulin, and so insulin resistance is a way of shunting the glucose that's available from the scallop muscle to the brain. So the brain gets, you know, and so that's part of the switch too. So the switch is making you insulin resistant to help preserve glucose to the brain. It's reducing our oxygen needs. It's storing
0: fat. It's actually stimulates foraging so that you're looking for makes food. Sense. Yeah, it makes sense. You want to be alert. You want to be able to see a predator. Yep. Exactly. And you got to be make
1: fast decisions. You have to be able to, you know, and, and so interestingly, it slows your metabolism, but when you're resting, not when you're in activity, because when you're foraging, you want to have that metabolism. You want to be looking around. You want to have the energy going, but when you rest, you want to really uh, let things drop so that yeah. you can, yeah. So the way the switch works is it decreases metabolism during rest, not during activity. And anyway, so it's a brilliant system, but when you overactivate it, the insulin resistance starts getting to be high glucose in the blood, high hyperglycemia, diabetes. The blood pressure also goes up a little bit because you want to have good circulation, but now instead of the blood pressure going up a little bit, it's going up high and you're developing hypertension. Uh, the foraging is great initially because you're kind of looking around, but if you if you do it chronically, what happens is you suddenly you can't concentrate because you when you're foraging you you don't want to concentrate on any one you want area, you want to make rapid decisions, and so suddenly now you're making rapid decisions, you're not thinking things through, and we call it ADHD. Right. And so uh, you know, unfortunately, nature wants us to be fat because. <laughs> Well, You know, we've activated a system to help us survive, and it's great in a setting where there's not a lot of food around, but we are in a world where we can order anything we want. We go to the grocery store, there's 30,000 items to pick from, and, you know, this is our problem. And so uh, the book, this is what the book's about.
0: Yeah, and the book is fantastic. So everybody watching and listening, go buy it. Is the best place to get it on Amazon, or is there anywhere else you want to go for that? Uh, oh, if there's many sites. Uh, you know, Barnes and Noble's books a million, but Amazon's a nice place to go to. We'll put the link for Amazon down below. We'll also put the link for your. You have other books out there. You have uh, the Sugar Fix. You have uh, the Fat Switch. So we'll put links for those as well. And uh, yeah, this is super fascinating. I just love. It's so interesting to hear how how we have evolved over the years. To see it's all back to survival. I mean, number one priority for the body is survival. And if you could view all the things that are happening in your body from the survival lens, it's going to make a lot of sense to you.
1: You know, uh, as a person who's done medical research for you know twenty years, twenty five years, what I've learned is that understanding you know how we got here and the, what we call the evolutionary biology. Is so incredibly insightful when it comes to trying to understand disease, and this is a great example. This, you know, this story is a great example of how, you know, something that is was built in a long time ago to help us survive is actually backfiring now and causing a lot of problems.
0: Yeah, it's so fascinating. Well, you do a good job at helping people become aware, and I hope the keto campers are now aware, and they make a better choice. So go get the book so you can understand this some more. Besides the links we're going to put down below, where else can they check you out?
1: Uh, there is, a, I do have a website, drrichardjohnson.com. And we've, we're putting lots of little stories in there. And, you know, I think it's an interesting website because you can actually learn. There's a section there where we, we talk about nature and and also some of the controversies going on in, on, in obesity and diabetes research and so forth.
0: Awesome. We'll put that down below. We'll put your socials as well. Thank you, Rick, for coming on the show. I really enjoyed the conversation and uh, I look forward to having another conversation with you. Thank you, Ben. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Dr. Richard Johnson. Thank you for listening to the entire episode and reaching this point, uh, go get his book. I think you're really going to love it. Maybe buy it for somebody as well. We'll drop a link for the book down below. It's going to, I, I, I believe, make a big difference in this world and really understand obesity and the related disorders to obesity. We'll put his website down below, his social media down below. Go follow him. Go check him out. If this was valuable to you, please consider leaving it, the podcast, the rating and review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to, and maybe copy and paste the link for this episode and send it to a friend. Say, hey, I just listened to this amazing episode and I think you're going to enjoy it. Boom, put that in a text message and you might change a life just by doing that. And one final reminder here is that our 90-Day Detox program has a couple more spots left. If you wanna learn more and join me for 90 days, we only do this three times a year. Head to ketocampdetox.com. We'll drop a link down below. Thanks so much for listening to the entire episode. I'll see you on the next one.